Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending December 18th, 2020. This is our 61st video cast, 51st podcast, and welcome. Uh, we are still in sunny Florida and returning back to snowy Connecticut and New York tomorrow. Uh, the uh, eight-year-old I mentioned last week, we did some jet skiing in Captiva, and we thought we were going fast at 53 miles an hour. Well, she wanted to go out again. They, they didn't have it set up in Captiva, so we came came over to Fort Myers, and I guess they have a lot less rules in, in Fort Myers because they've got a country radio station called Hell Yeah 93.7. Uh, I'm a big country fan, and I got to say, in two weeks, uh, they didn't play one bad song. But uh, as far as the rules go, it was unbelievable. So we rented jet skis uh, at this place in Fort Myers on Estero Beach, and I guess they don't have governors on them because <laughs> we were we were in the ocean and literally we hit 72 miles an hour like once or twice. The vast majority of the time it was between you know 50 and 60, but 68 was easy peasy, and a couple times we hit 72. And when we got back in, the guy said, "Man, I saw you both getting air out there," and so uh, you know the waters were a lot rougher than in Captiva, I think it was the day, and uh, and and we hit some waves, and, and I guess the whole entire thing uh, got airborne, and, you know, I, I'd feel her behind me, you know, starting to slide off the jet ski, I'd just reach my arm back and grab her back on, and she was all good to go, so, um, so yeah, I, you know, we should get away more often, because after the close today, we got the greatest gift of all time, that the Fed loosened the buyback restrictions, enabling the big banks to start to buy back their stock. There were 33 of them that uh, that surprised the market and will begin to return capital back to shareholders. Pre-COVID, 70% of their capital return was buybacks, and now that's coming back thanks to Randy Quarles. Uh, that is just phenomenal. And they were all up between three and a half to six and a half percent after hours. And I think that's really just taken the market by surprise. We talked about it here on the podcast two weeks ago. So you guys had a clue that we thought it could be a potential catalyst. But, uh, you know, no one could have complete certainty. Uh, I know, uh, you know, met Randy, Randy Quarles. So I, I thought he would wind up doing the right thing. But uh, in fact, he did. And sooner than expected, which is just very, very exciting to see the after hours results. And by the way, already JP Morgan came out with their announcement. They're going to do $30 billion of buybacks in Q1. And I'm sure there will be many to follow. Wells Fargo was on that list of 33 banks approved. So we should start getting press releases and seeing those capital returns. And this is the next catalyst. You know, we've been talking banks for months and accumulating banks for months with Wells being our biggest, uh, Bank, of, um, Bank of America our second. And very, very exciting news uh, just minutes ago. So here we are. Uh, first, we'll start with our media spots just to cover the highlights of the week. But we've got a ton to cover. So you may want to grab a pen and paper. Hit the pause button if I speak too quickly. But uh, let's get to it. First, I'd like to thank uh, Liz Clayman and Jacqueline D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on the Clayman Countdown yesterday to discuss um, a number of things. She was talking about the vaccines were out, the Fed w was on Wednesday. Was there anything that we were missing with the market? And um, I basically said, look, 
You've got the Fed has committed to keeping short rates low till 2023. The, uh, they're going to stay in the market doing $120 billion a month in Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. Congress is going to provide a $900 billion bridge to full vaccination by Q2. You've got global pent-up demand. There's $20 trillion of monetary and fiscal support in the system. Globally, as the, the, uh, the world reopens, it's, it's going to be a boom. And um, uh, and that money's going to, you know, we're going to feel the effects of that $20 trillion of support between fiscal and monetary. And finally, you had a bunch of top callers out. And, that, and I pointed that out, uh, that uh, everyone's looking at the uh, sentiment and uh, pockets of euphoria and the IPOs calling for an imminent correction. My, my view was that uh, certainly we will need to consolidate in in uh, some of these gains, 65% off the lows, uh, and but that's more likely to be a Q1 story than an imminent story right now, despite the reads. Um, and I also talked about how this is similar to 2009. You had a similar huge move off the bottom, uh, led by banks, and then um, you had you know pretty aggressive corrections in 2010 and 2011 after that huge move those that weakness was to be purchased not to be sold and the same opportunities i think we we may have in q1 but for those calling for an imminent correction i i said that uh, there will be no grinch and i think that's going to hold true with uh congress getting it together over the weekend and getting a deal done and uh, now this bank news is just huge and it did take the market by surprise uh, although we talked about it here. The other point that I made with Liz was uh, the the um, uh, Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, which we're going to talk a lot about today. The yield curve steepening expectations are at their highest ever. The last three times were uh, November 2016, right after the election, August 2013, and October 2008. All three times were the greatest times to buy banks, and I think this time will be no different. Uh, the sector, uh, uh, you know, you've seen Wells Fargo is up 43.6% uh, in the last seven weeks off of its lows. I think it's up another 3% after hours, 3, 3.5% after hours, and they haven't even made their buyback announcement. Some of the other banks are up 5 and 6%. I think uh, Bank of America was up 6% after hours. So, um, so that's going to continue. The yield curve, uh, that'll help net interest margin. You're going to see the reserve releases, which we've talked about for many, many weeks. We were talking about it in, in the summer when everyone was under the bunker, and now it's starting to happen. Uh, two was uh, the contrarian trades that Bank of America talked about in their report, which we're going to uh, go into uh, pretty aggressively, are uh, long energy and short tech. Uh, Energy is now up over 40% as a sector in the last uh, seven weeks. And um, we had a crew draw this week. And then short tech, the antitrust echoes of 20 years ago with Microsoft. We spent a lot of time on in recent weeks. I covered that with Liz. And uh, the amount of antitrust on the state and um, uh, federal level as well as international. One of the obscure rulings that came out this week, which I was on with CGTN Global Business, which we're gonna cover, was the Digital Services Act. And we'll go into that in a little bit. So there are a lot of headwinds. And that's not to say their franchises aren't, don't have enormous moats and they'll continue to grow. I think like Microsoft, it will be more subdued as they go from offense and innovation to defense and preservation, fighting 100 front wars against all these different lawsuits and, uh, and actions coming against them um, okay and then 
And that, and then finally, the third point was just sentiment is high, cash cash levels have come down. That's not always indicative of a top, per, particularly uh, when you're coming off of such an immense dislocation, like. 2009, like 2011, like uh, uh, um, early 2016, and like uh, 2020. Usually that first huge move, when you get those extreme readings coming off the lows, uh, you're more likely to sideways consolidate. You know, could an 8 to 10% pullback in the Q1 be in the cards? Yes, seasonality would favor, fe favor February, but for those calling for... Uh, tops and corrections in the last two weeks it, it I, I think it's premature um so also want to do a shout out uh, over at fox business to Stu oppenheim who cut the video for me last week um and because i wasn't able to do it here remotely and this week um i want to thank julia McGonagall. Julia McGonagall's also a big country music fan, so a uh, big shout out to Julia and Stu for cutting those videos so I could get them up. Uh, have a listen at your convenience. Uh, you can do so by just going to hedgefundtips.com, click on featured on. I covered a lot of I cover a lot of information in a very short period of time, and the amount of research that goes into it, it's kind of like the Cliff's Notes for the markets. Uh, you can save yourself a ton of time by just uh, checking in on those. Second, I'd like to thank um rochelle akufo and stephanie savage for having me on cgtn america on tuesday night and the subject there was the ipo market which uh built upon what i covered with liz clayman uh last thursday and i have the video up now if you want to go back and review that about the ipo market that was about doordash and airbnb we're not going to cover a lot of that this week but with rochelle on tuesday um, you know, I said, look, what you have here is an abundance of demand and a scarcity of supply. These companies are floating less than 10% of the shares. So therefore you're going to get a huge pop, uh, because there's, there's just no supply and people are demanding it. What you had off the IPOs was in the case of Airbnb, a price to sales hit 25 times current year sales and hit 120 times PE on their IPO pop. Um, you know, if you want to pay for 25 years of revenues, not earnings today, that, you know, that that's uh, that's that's your choice. And there's some people that do it. Um, it's it's because they feel they can sell it to the next guy at a higher price, kind of like Bitcoin and hope for the best. Uh, and that may pr prove to be true, but it, it's just it's rich. Uh, DoorDash 22 times it hit a peak peak to sales, no earnings. And Snowflake, 267 times uh, revenues and no earnings. Now, yes, are they all growing revenues at high uh, compounded rates? Yes. Uh, let me just tell you what it would take. I read a note on DoorDash. In order for it to grow into its post-IPO pop valuation, it would need to compound revenues at 40% per year for the next 10 years and uh, and improve its margins from negative 12% to positive 8%. So if you want to pay for all of that pricing to perfection today, be my guest. It's not my knitting, but that's what's going on in the uh, IPO market. Now you look at an Airbnb, it has a real durable moat. I mean, 4 million hosts, 220 countries. These are all great businesses. There's no question about it. Question is, price is what you pay and value is what you get. Uh, you know, 
what are you getting? You know, if uh, if Apple's a great company, are you willing to pay $500 a share for it or $1,000 a share for it today because it's going to be bigger 20 years from now? Maybe, but I think it just starts to go into la-la land at some point. So, you know, with these, I think they'll give you an opportunity to get in at lower prices. Maybe it's during that Q1 correction that uh, that may or may not be imminent. Um, but certainly these are pricing in perfection. They're a function of massive liquidity globally. That That's going to continue. Uh, the bankers obviously mispriced the offerings and underestimated the demand from retail and Robinhood traders. And uh, you are seeing some companies uh, come to their senses and delay the offering until a more normalized environment um, uh, because it, it screws their ability to hire people. You know, if you're offering them options at, uh, you know, 267 times sales and their new employee, you know, the odds of them making money of those on those three years out when they're vested uh, declines. And, you know, I think most recruits understand that and uh, they take a pass. So um, the solution is obviously offer more shares. They should, should be required to offer more than 10% of the float. Ease the lockup restrictions for insiders, although I, I like them to hold their stock. I want them to, but that would, that would eliminate the pop problem because they'd be able to uh, put some supply on the market. And three is the direct listing model like Palantir, where it goes, the market determines the price, not you know a handful of bankers in their 20s working until one in the morning on spreadsheets. So, um, you know, but, but bankers do what they always must. When the music is playing, they get up and dance. The, the ducks are quacking, they feed them. And that's what you're seeing in the market right now. I'll take a pass. Um, giving you an idea here, um, the, each of these companies raised about uh, $3.5 billion at about $40 billion valuation, between $30 and $40 billion valuations, Airbnb, DoorDash, and Snow. Um, in the case of Airbnb, its last private market valuation was $34 billion. Just by virtue of going public, no change in the underlying business. Their peak valuation hit $100 billion. Uh, that seems like a big premium for just being a, a liquid uh, traded security. Uh, DoorDash's highest private market valuation was $16 billion before going public. It hit a peak valuation post-IPO of $65 billion. And Snowflake's uh, pre-IPO valuation was $12 billion private market valuation, and it hit a peak valuation of $120 billion or 10x. Uh, you know, I don't think any company uh, deserves a 10x premium just by virtue of going from a privately traded security to a publicly traded security. But uh, that's what the market's doing, and that's what happens when the bankers control supply. So um, so that's the story. That's the froth. That's how to potentially solve it. Thanks to Rochelle and Stephanie for having me on that show. And then Michael Wang had me on Tuesday morning in China. Uh, he Well, he was in China. I was in uh, on vacation. So... Um, and he wanted to talk about the uh, European Digital Services Act, which no one's really talking about in the U.S. The EU competition chief, I'm surprised they don't call them czars in Europe, um, uh, but nonetheless, that uh, Marguerite Vestager uh, came out with her new uh, dictates on the, um, the large platforms, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, are going to be at the effect of that. They, they're referred to as quote-unquote gatekeepers. 
And this is an antitrust move, this Digital Services Act. Uh, this may lead to the breakup of Google um, because they control, or Alphabet, they control uh, the number one search engine in the world is Google. The number two search engine in the world is YouTube. So um, uh, they're being accused of uh, giving preference to their own products, particularly in the case of travel, um, the Google's travel versus you know the bookings of the world, the Travagos of the world, um, etc. And so. Basically, uh, they want to take action against that. They are accusing them of pay-for-play in the case of um, uh, Google is paying Apple 8 to $12 billion a year to be the default search on all of their devices. And illegal content, hate speech, terrorism, illegal products, and mis misinformation. So the penalties are severe. They're going to have to moderate uh, content and become, quote-unquote, responsible for user-generated content. This is what we're dealing with with Section 230 in the U.S. that the tech uh, companies are lobbying against. Uh, they don't want to become publishers because they don't want re the responsibility for the content on their platform. And um, Vestajar in the EU is saying, too bad, you are going to be responsible. And that's a huge thing because uh, they're going to have to report what they've taken down and why. They're going to have to potentially disclose their algorithms, which they've refused to do. That's their proprietary highly valuable commercial trade secrets, how they decide what to serve uh, to users, who pays for the ad, why we are targeted, potentially giving the consumer influence over what's served to them. And the fines, get this, the fines for this are between 6 to 10% of annual revenue. This is a tax scheme. This is not a regulatory scheme. It's a complete scam. And that's uh, not to say they shouldn't be brought under scrutiny but uh once you see how they're bringing them under scrutiny and how you know if you want to break them up break them up if you want to if you want to extort 10 percent of their revenues every year because of your arbitrary view that some user you know put up some comment that shouldn't have been there about you know vaccines or something else that that you don't like arbitrarily and then you're going to just extract money from the company because they can't you know uh police you know, hundreds of millions of, of user generated uh, uh, bits of data every single day, then uh, then just call it what it is. You want to extract money and you want them to pay taxes more than they have, then call it that. Don't call it uh, what, what you're trying to call it a digital services act because it has nothing to do with that. Um, resolution is, uh, the, this doesn't go into effect till 2024. So what are the big tech companies doing? They're, they're lobbying. They've already spent $23 million in the first half of 2020. They're, uh, exerting influence through think tanks, academic positions, well-connected law firms and consulting firms. They are, uh, going to, in the legislative process over the next few years, show how restrictions will slow economic growth and jobs. What they effectively have to do is show them that the money they extort from their companies will cost them more in lost jobs. Uh, and, uh, and if they can prove that out, maybe, maybe the you know, regulators will do the math and say this is probably a bad idea. And by the way, I'm not some 
big tech advocate, if you've listened to me long enough, I expect their businesses are going to slow. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, aggressively long or certainly, certainly not overweight any of these names, that's for sure. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've got no dog in this hunt, but I'm just calling it like I see it, balls and strikes. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you uh, trying to extort that t- that kind of money is is uh highway robbery if you want if you if you can make a case to break them up break them up but charging them fines that how, how does that how does that even you know sink it, it it's it's foreign to me nonetheless um the uh so the final version won't be out till 2024 the it's everyone's hopeful it'll be much less stringent than initially proposed which is probably the case and nothing to be excessively alarmed but again it's it's what happened to microsoft you know they took their eye off the ball they missed mobile why because they're fighting the justice department on antitrust the business the core business continued to grow but the multiple dramatically contracted throughout that period and i think that's what we'll probably see with the big platforms the businesses will continue to grow because their products are great but the multiples may not be so rich as such a rich premium to the market because their growth will slow as more and more of the margin goes to defense and protection and uh, enforcement and all of these things that governments are good at doing slowing down uh, innovation Uh, you can count on that in years to come the market impact uh, you know they are fighting a two-front war both in the US and in Europe now um and uh and and that's basically what's going to happen and the goal here what the europeans are trying to do they say well you we are going to force you to give your trade secrets to smaller european rivals so that they can compete with you look just compete effectively what you're doing by putting up all of these restrictions of having to moderate user generated content is you're not helping small competitors because if the small competitors are successful, they won't be able to afford to do the moderation and regulation that you're imposing on the big platform. So you just create a bigger moat for the bigger companies and I'm sure they're happy to have it. They'll take the few year hit in order to keep everyone else out of the market and the unintended consequences of government restriction uh, in full force in the Digital Services Act. Congratulations on that. Moving forward, uh, these are the antitrust cases in the U.S. I can't keep track of them anymore. They just keep coming out every day. So you can Google this article in the Wall Street Journal, uh, U.S. antitrust facing Google, Facebook, and others. And it's just, you know, Justice Department, Federal Trade Commission, uh, State's Attorneys General, Congress, Federal Communications Commission, it just goes on and on and on. And we've been talking about this for a number of months as one of the catalysts to have cyclical sectors begin to outperform relative to tech and growth, not zero sum at the effect of tech and growth. Um, So the um, next one I want to thank... Shriashi Senyal and Amber Wark. So thank you to Shriashi. Uh, This was a quote from this morning in Reuters. The market's a bit skeptical because the stopwatch is on and time is running out. People want to see a deal actually inked. We didn't get it before the close. They're now doing a two-day stopgap for spending. Uh, They are hopeful, McConnell says, to get the $900 billion out, I guess, by the end of the weekend because he's not letting anyone go home until they get a deal. We'll see. I think it's going to. I, uh, I think it's going to get.
get done. The, sti- uh, the second quote was the stimulus getting approved would be bullish for the retail sector. That's specifically what she asked me about because the vast majority of that money will go right into holiday shopping on expectation of receiving those stimulus checks, even if they come after Christmas. And final quote was we will see what we will see is that there will be no Grinch this Christmas because Santa Claus is coming to town and we will get something done. So uh, there you go. Let's let's uh, let's put a little faith that they actually get something done and, and that Congress has a heart because there are a lot of people out there still suffering. Uh, this quote, second quote from Reuters, uh, again, I'd like to thank Sriyashi Sanyal and Amber Warwick. This was from Monday. I said, there's no question the market's very optimistic about the vaccines finally being delivered. That was, you know, if you recall, people were seeing people getting shots in their arm on Monday. Everyone was excited. And uh, it's a sign. Oh, and then the Alexion deal um, and Alexion AstraZeneca 39 uh, billion dollar deal. I said, quote, it's a sign that animal spirits are back. Companies are reluctant to do deals when they have negative outlooks on the future. But the fact that you're seeing these types of big deals on merger Mondays is a sign of things to come. And I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. I think that's a good thing. So this was the big news after hours fed to allow big banks to resume share buybacks with limitations. So this is going to go into effect. Uh, 33 banks were approved. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they're all in that boat. Um, and uh, and that's just a huge thing. Kudos to Fed Vice Chair of Supervision Randy, Randy Quarles for getting this done. Uh, he said the banking system has been a source of strength during the past year and today's stress test results confirm that large banks could continue to lend to households and businesses even during a sharply adverse future turn in the economy. And um, and that was the story. So. Uh, this is the full stress test results, uh, 154 pages. I didn't have time to read it before this call because the announcement was, you know, a few minutes before this call. So uh, read it at your leisure at federalreserve.gov. Um, as you're seeing, you know, Wells Fargo up was up over $30 uh, after the uh, market close, uh, extended hours on this news. Also, Wells Fargo was upgraded this week by uh, Keith Bruyette, analyst Brian Kleinhansel, uh, upgraded to outperform with a price target of $36. That's before the buyback, so I think all these are going to be revised up upward. But at that time, he said the bank's longer-term prospects are still substantial, and the stock's current valuation provides an attractive entry. This was at when it was trading at $28, 40% off the lows, up 40% off the lows. Uh, the analyst believes the rewards outweigh the risks, saying Wells' ongoing transformation should both be both a positive for returns and share price longer term. So, um, so this is just the beginning. Opinion follows trend. Uh, Huntington Bank shares merged with TCF Financial. This could be uh, the latest in a recent string of regional bank tie-ups. You're going to see more of that to come. Um, Goldman Sachs strategists say SPACs may spur $300 billion in M&A activity. That will be good for the bankers. And um, uh, animal spirits are back. And then this was the Congress working on a two-day funding extension before the shutdown. The, 
deal the details on the 900 billion dollar stimulus package uh they are going to have direct checks to individuals i think it's going to be predominantly low income people uh 600 to 700 bucks direct payments which will really help a lot of people 300 dollars a week in enhanced unemployment insurance through march 2021 renewing funding for small businesses the ppp that's huge i think that's probably north of 300 billion dollars if i recall correctly it's not in this article 25 billion for emergency rental assistance and funding for COVID-19 uh, vaccinations and schools. So that's good. Now, next thing, stock market timing expert. This is from um, Mark DeCambry over at Market Watch. Stock market timing expert DeMarc is confident S&P surges 5% in the next two weeks. So he's calling for 3,900 and change. Uh, he's the only person I've seen out there calling for a potential melt up other than what we put out two weeks ago and the market's risen since. Uh, we'll see. And, you know, the reason I think this is interesting with uh, DeMarc is that, number one, you know, he has uh, some good big clients like Soros and uh, Stevie Cohen and, and uh, I think Paul Tudor Jones uses his stuff. Um, but two, there weren't many people in March, late March, after the market was down over 30 percent, uh, calling for a reversal and saying that it was overdone. There was Tom Lee, who was who was optimistic at the lows. There was uh, DeMarc, who um, Tom DeMarc, whose signals told him that we we're getting close to exhaustion. And there was also uh, my article in Market Watch um, on March 19th which you can find at uh, right here, market action a century ago suggests the worst could be over for stocks, if not for the coronavirus. So uh, what we were talking about here was that uh, the quote was, so while the worst, uh, da -da -da -da, okay, so while the worst was ahead in terms of the Spanish flu in December of 1917, the worst was done for the stock market after the 33% drop. This article was written when the Dow was at 20,000. Uh, the difference now is that we have better medicine methods and experience to mitigate the outcome. Uh, the market has already discounted a lot of pain based on its current drop. It will be just as quick to discount a recovery once the initial shock subsides. This was huge. This was this was March 13th. So, you know, when DeMarc is calling for a melt up here into year end, uh, and he was one of the few people with, you know, this type of article and Tom Lee uh, in in um, in that week of March, this was March 19th, the market bottomed on March 23rd. Um, I, I definitely pay attention to his stuff and, and Tom Lee's stuff for sure. So um, another article out, uh, Sean Langlois put out a note from um, the biggest stimulus plan ever known to man is coming. Strategist says, here are two ways to play it. And what this Credit Suisse analyst Jonathan Golub is saying, um, Sean pointed out his Bloomberg TV interview on Thursday. He's saying that... Uh, what the the biggest stimulus plan ever known to man is coming and what is that plan exactly the plan is the reopening of the global economy which Golub says will send a bullish charge through the stock market and help boost two obscenely cheap sectors in particular healthcare and financials these are going to be your two best sectors in the year ahead he said adding that the backdrop for investors is extremely positive so um you can see this you can watch his interview here uh, in sean's article 
but he said all 11 sectors trade above their 10-year averages on a relative basis. However, several sectors, including financials and healthcare, ex appear extremely undervalued. That's Jonathan Golub over at Credit Suisse. I uh, couldn't agree more on the financials. On the healthcare, I think you got to be uh, picky. I do like some of the big biotechs are looking really, really cheap, uh, like the Gileads. And, and, I'm, and, and my view is unrelated to coronavirus. It's just the franchises generally, you know, the, the Biogens of the world, the Gileads of the world, um, and, and a few others. And, and um, there, there are many other in the healthcare. Some of the insurers are, are starting to look cheap. But uh, we'll talk about that probably in coming weeks. Uh, Lennar says this was its best year ever, what it expects in 2021, article uh, in Barron's. And what I liked here is what we've been talking about for the last five months, quote, the confluence of millennials starting families and creating households of their own, along with the pro-housing effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, has material strength, materially strengthened demand, Lennar Executive Chairman Stuart Miller said in a press release. The surge in demand for housing combined with the market's inability to produce sufficient homes to meet this demand has exacerbated the already well-documented undersupply of new and existing homes for sale. It delivered 52,000 homes in 2020 and uh, reported 56,000 plus new orders. The housing market has proven to be very strong and we expect it will continue to be a significant driver in the recovery of the overall econ economy over the next several years. And that's what I've said since, since spring. Uh, this is going to be a secular move. It started actually pre-COVID, if you look at the housing formation data, and this is just put it on turbocharge and it's just getting warmed up. Uh, speaking of warming up, the next article, Wall Street is warming up to ExxonMobil stock. This is almost as hated as Wells Fargo was, uh, if not more. And Goldman Sachs came out with an upgrade at $52 a share this week. Uh, it's trading at 10 times 2022 earnings, uh, down from its historical valuation of 15 times. So he's saying at least 51 bucks. And uh, and and oil. At, I'm sorry. At least 52 bucks, and uh, and oil is going to continue to uh, go up, which we've been saying since June. Once the the uh, OPEC put in their year and a half cut plan, we've had consistent draws this week included, and that's why oil traded at a nine month high. We've also said for the last three months, expect three dollars to four dollars at the tank in the next. 12 to 18 months, we're going to get there. Uh, uh, that's There's no question about it. Uh, policy is the light at the end of the tunnel and policy staying very easy. We've covered that. He's keeping the short end pinned to zero till 2023. He's going to stay in the market. And you see that in the balance sheet, the $120 billion a month. Uh, here you go. The balance sheet took off. You don't want to short that type of liquidity. That's why all the top callers, I think, in the short term are, are going to uh, experience a bit more pain uh, and maybe they'll have their day in in q1 if they're still around next um this was an article i put out on sunday it's from a, a website called investoramnesia.com he does a lot of old stuff and i thought this was pretty cool because it covers the yellow fever in 1798 the cholera epidemic in 1832 the scarlet fever epidemic in 1858 and the spanish flu in 1918 and as you can see in all four of these cases they preceded pretty substantial long-term uh, decade runs with uh, actually no exceptions, except the cholera one looks like it was only a five-year run. But yellow fever, you had a monster, monster rally for the next uh, 
15 years, it was the beginning of a secular bull. The cholera epidemic was kind of late cycle and you had another 30 to 40, 33 to 40. So about another six, seven years of, of uh, upward trends. The scarlet fever, you had a monster, monster, monster trend after that. And the Spanish flu preceded the roaring 20s. A lot of people are comparing the current 20s to the roaring 20s. It remains to be seen. But I think the 85 million millennial housing formation supports it historically. If you look at the cycles over the last 100 years with the boomers, and there are more millennials, 85 million, than there were baby boomers post-World War II, and you remember what the 50s and the 60s were, was Boomtown. Okay, next, moving on, the article of the week, the Luke Combs, loving on you, stock market and sentiment results. Maybe there's just too much country music down here that influenced me, but uh, that's kind of how the market is uh, feeling. It's loving, loving on you. Uh, certainly, these lyrics accurately describe managers and retail investors' feelings for the market. Uh, I can't get enough of you, honey. You're right on the money. So you can play that song if you like that stuff. Uh, I do. Uh, not everyone does. Um, okay, so then I covered the TV spots and what we covered. We've already went over that. This Tuesday, Bank of America published its monthly global fund manager survey. They interviewed 200 managers with a half a uh, trillion dollars under management to get a gauge on sentiment and positioning. We'll go through the summary in a bit, but I want to cover the key takeaways first. The yield curve steepening expectations are number one. You can see here November 16, August 13, uh, October 08. If you look on a long-term chart, which we're gonna, which is right here, uh, these were fantastic times to buy banks. The green line is financial. Financials. We're also seeing here this uh, in this particular chart, which we've posted a number of times, the yield curve continues to steepen, record steepening here, twos, ten spread. This is going to be good for banks' net interest margin. And just like all the last times, you invert, you steepen, you invert, you steepen. And what does that set off? It sets off a secular bull market in financials. It sets off a secular bull market in financials. This one was five years. This one was... Uh, uh, 10 years, and we'll see what this one's going to be. Five years, 10 years, it doesn't matter. We're in at the beginning, and it's starting to happen. Now with the buybacks, it's a good thing. So uh, this will help the net interest margin. And here's an update of our favorite and largest bank holding, uh, which is Wells Fargo. If you recall, we were putting this out when this had broken down, and we were like, you know, this was the leg sweep, the Cobra Kai leg sweep, if you remember. Well, it was a sweep. It took out all the weak sisters, and it's rallied over now after hours, uh, probably about 46% in the last six weeks off the lows, and I think it's just the beginning. As I said, it's only happened a few times in history that it trades at over a 40% discount to book. It restored to book. Uh, within months, not years, the last two times that happened uh, during the uh, great financial crisis in 09. You can see how quickly that restored. At that time, book value was about 20. So it, uh, it recovered that in a number of months. And the last time was the early 90s. It recovered that in months. And here, uh, book value per share is about $40. That may improve in coming uh, uh, weeks or months, uh, I'm sorry, months rather, as uh, loan loss reserves are reversed. And that all comes back as income and earnings, which is not priced in. I think that's a huge story in 2021. We've been talking about that since July of uh, 2020 when I was on CNBC London. You can Google that. Um, talking about Cecil when no one was paying attention, with the exception of one reporter at Barron's 
uh, Carlton English was on top of it in this, this summer, and uh, she stuck her neck out and put that out, and that was a great article. And still no one really believes it. They'll start to be interested around 40 $45 and then some people will buy the breakouts and they'll still make money even buying up, you know, 150, 200% because I think this can be a $70, $80 stock in the next three to five years, uh, supported by that secular trend with the uh, millennials housing formation demand, pent up demand, liquidity in the system, uh, cleaning up the business, Charlie Sharf, he'll get digital technology right, and we're off to the races. So the second key finding was that managers are finally out of cash and into value. Cash levels went down, they were caught flat-footed into the election and overweight tech. Now they are panicking into value over growth, that was the biggest move. They're panicking out of cash, and tech is becoming more subdued, and energy starting to get a bid. All the things we've been talking about for the last four months are just beginning. And um, and they're contrarian trade. They're saying uh, sell the vaccine in Q1. It actually makes sense. An 8 to 10% pullback would be healthy in a new business cycle like we saw in 2010 and 2011. If you sold during those periods, you missed out on years of secular gains. The same will be the case here. Any weakness in Q1 should be bought, not sold. And uh, and my focus in the early part of the cycle would be cyclicals, hence the name. They always outperform in the first uh, eight quarters of a new cycle. This time should be no different. Um, the key time when you want to be uh, worried about the potential pullback in Q1 is uh, if we do get the melt up into year end, uh, which we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, and now DeMarc is out this week potentially talking about. Um, I would wait till you see managers too busy chasing uh, the market to focus on a correction. Once the correction narrative is off the table and everyone starts talking that cash is trash and Tina, there is no alternative uh, because of bond yields, that's when you probably want to start to get a little defensive or at least raise a little cash so you can buy cheaper, uh, you know, uh, if we do in fact get that pullback. But timing it and being too cute is going to cost you. My sense is just stay the course and suck it up. If you get a pullback, just suck it up. And if you have cash, add. Uh, that's that's really the game. And look three to five years out. So uh, their contrarian trade was to, uh, well, we just covered sell the vaccine, but also long energy and uh, and staples and short tech. I agree. I, I mean, I'm not going to like aggressively short tech. I just think it's a relative outperformance trade. Definitely want financials, definitely want energy. And we also, as you know, love defense stocks. If you listen to last week's podcast video cast, I must have said banks, defense stocks and energy about 17 times. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to keep pounding the same uh, drum, but you guys know that's where we're focused. And um, um, so, so why I like this contrarian trade, long energy, short tech, is because this is not the way the market's positioned. It's it's just the opposite. In the past week, New York State set a goal to be 100% carbon neutral in their pension funds by 2040. All these endowments and pensions are doing the exact same thing at the exact wrong time. So they're going to get screwed because what's going to happen is how are they going to re reverse that underweight positioning and explain it to their pensioners when the sector doubles in the next three to five years. I think we're starting, we're certainly in a new business cycle, two quarters of negative growth, Q1, Q2. We had our first quarter of positive growth, new business cycle, 33% annualized GDP. Uh, Atlanta Fed is now saying Q4 is still going to be over 11% annualized GDP. That's huge. Uh, despite all the shutdowns, restrictions, bad political decisions in certain regions, uh, it's, it's happening. And um, so, 
So what a lot of managers' pensions endowments are saying is, well, who cares? It's only 2.5% of the S&P. Well, uh, uh, yes. And what are you going to do when it reverts back to near double digits waiting? Like it, like historically, you do see these ebbs and flows in sectors. And I certainly think within the next three to five years, energy could be as high as back over 10% of the S&P. And if you're underweight and you don't have any exposure and the sector's doubled or tripled over that period, then uh, good luck explaining that because you've underperformed uh, uh, what they could they could get from uh, you know an S and P index fund for five basis points or three basis points, however much it costs. Uh, so there are no atheists in the foxhole. Perhaps they'll find religion uh, again, just as they did from 2003 to 2017, uh, 2007, when the sector gained 300 percent off its last depression period. Uh, this chart we put out on the October 15th article when everyone was down on energy. And XLE was at, that's the energy ETF, was at 3052. Here's what happened during the last depression, 300%. That's what happened there. And as I said on Liz's show, uh, the sector's up now 40% in the last six or seven weeks since we put that out. And I think it's just the beginning. We've got a lot of overhead here. Certainly fill that gap for the technicians. So that's another 20, 20, 25%. And then I think we're going to work our way higher, if not to new highs, because these are the heavy weights. So the marginal players are all going to go bankrupt. The big players, Exxon is our top holding there. Uh, you know, Chevron, you know, you know, Conoco, all the big names are going to gain more share. And there's been no major investment for the last five years. There's not enough green supply to offset the demand that's coming. And uh, the developed people in the developed world miss this because uh, we have a tendency to close the door behind us after we have our prosperity. But the people in emerging markets, they want social mobility. And to, to have that, you need energy. And that demand is not going to subside. They want their mopeds and then they're going to want Want their cars and then they're going to want all the thing factories and everything that goes with industrialization and growth and there are a lot more of them than there are of us so good luck telling them that uh, too bad you know go run your town with intermittent uh, solar panels and it's just not going to work for them to have the same type of prosperity that we have which they deserve and they're going to demand so um, yeah we'll get to carbon neutral over time but uh, we've got a long way to go in uh, renewable development and in the meantime carbon Carbon fuel fuels are going to play a huge bridging effect at least till 2050 and beyond. And at the same time, you have to consider that it may be well beyond because the population is going to continue to grow and the middle class is going to continue to emerge. Uh, and uh, we need to stop being myopic and looking exclusively at the developed world, which the population is slowing and look at the growing parts of the world where the demand is just beginning. Okay, uh, moving forward, optimism, Winston Churchill, I'm an optimist, it does not seem too, too much use being anything else, I subscribe to this philosophy. Um, people look at the uh, investor optimism skyrocketing uh, lately as a negative, but if you look at this chart, when it's come off a negative basis, uh, like in 2009, like in 2003, when it moves above this top dotted line, it's the beginning of a cycle. And I added these green lines to show you that extremes in optimism at the beginning of a cycle are normal. And there's a lot more to come when you're coming off of these real big dislocations like 2011, 2009, 2020, even 2015-16. Uh, it 
almost went negative. You got that first optimism and you just kept going. So, and same thing in 2003. So the excessive optimism coming off the dislocation is not as bad as except it's not bad at all. It's positive coming off a normal uh, dislocation. You know, if it was high here, then you want to start to get cautious. If you've been out of the dislocation for a long period of time and it stays elevated, that's when you start to look for caution, not at the early stages of a cycle. Um, so what's bad is good. Uh, we covered all of those points last week in the Frankie Valley. Can't take my eyes off of you. Stock market and sentiment results. You can review that. All the things that people are saying is too excessive. We cover how in the beginning of the cycle, it's actually positive. And uh, a couple more, one from Sarah Ponzek. She puts out great stuff on Twitter. I would follow her. P-O-N-C-Z-E-K at Sarah P-O-N-Z-C-Z-E-K. She put out this 90% of stocks in the Russell 3000 are trading above their 200-day moving averages, the most since 2009. Well, that's a good sign. Would you want to be a buyer or seller of stocks in 2009? It was the beginning of a huge decade-long cycle that ended in a 35% correction in 2021. I'm sorry, 2020. And now we're starting up a new cycle. And yes, we're getting the same type of euphoria that you had in mid-2009. That was a great time to buy stocks, even when they were up 60 plus percent off their lows. You had uh, many, many more years of growth despite corrections in 2010 and 11. Uh, same thing with Tom McClellan. He talks about the Fosback absolute breath ratio, says this is not a top. You can review it here. His dad started, uh, founded the McClellan Oscillator, and uh, Tom is the son, and they put out some good stuff. They're definitely worth following. Shorter term view for the general market. Some of these indicators came a little bit off their boil, like uh, bullish sentiment came down to 43% from 48. Still an extreme. This is the same chart we showed. Just because it's elevated doesn't mean it's a top. In 2018, it was after, because it was coming off a huge rally. But in 2016, after the election, it was not because you were coming off of this dislocation in early 2016, just like we're coming off this dislocation in early 2020. Um, it, it was actually the precursor for a year-long rally. I remember 2017 very clearly because we didn't get anything more than a 3% pullback all year, and the market just kept going up and 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 uh, i'm not saying that's what 2021 is because uh we are due for some consolidation but uh you know it doesn't mean because sentiment is elevated that it's a negative it could just mean that it's forced to be positive after they you know people that miss this kind of move out of the bottom when tom lee and demark and and myself and maybe one or two others were positive in the lows of march um you know they were, you know, it when they finally turn at the breakout at the tops, that's when sentiment gets high and it, and it's it often continues. So uh, just like Wells Fargo, people buying the breakout at $50 in the next couple of months or however long it takes, they're still going to make money because it probably goes to 70 or 80 over the next few years. Uh, but we're talking, you know, we've been talking about it in the low to mid 20s uh, for months and accumulating for months. And now it's over 30 after hours and it's probably going to be over 40 before we know it. So, um, okay, CNC, CNN Fear and Greed moderated. It was in the 80s. It's now 69, obviously still elevated. And the National Association of Active Investment Managers still elevated. But as I made the point, 
this is not always the sign of a top. It did the same thing again after the election was over 100 and you had that huge rally uh, in 2017. So our message for the week is the same. The easy money's been made in the general indices off the March lows, but um, I believe the easy money's just getting started in the left for dead sectors and stocks, banks, defense stocks, and pockets of energy will be as good, if not orders of magnitude better in coming quarters than buying the general market in late March. Again, this is all opinion, not advice. Click on terms at hedgefundtips.com. I don't know what your financial situation is. I only deal with accredited investors, so talk to your financial advisors uh, before you do anything, etc. Um, Okay, so, um, uh, you know, and the other thing I didn't have time to go into with Liz, she usually asked me what stocks, obviously on the banks, my favorite two are Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Defense stocks, I would have told, told her Lockheed Martin. I like that defense stocks are a little weak this, this week. Um, you can add more for the long term. They make satellites and aircraft. These are going to be huge things in the recovery. Uh, so, so definitely want more exposure there and pockets of energy. What we mean by that is buy the biggest names first. And then as we get recovery, then you can start to go down the food chain and buy some of the more speculative names, um, that have decent balance sheets that won't be, uh, the casualties that will accrue to the Exxon mobiles of the world that are going to gain share. Um, okay. So, Okay, while many worry that institutional managers and retail investors alike are, quote, in love and loving on you stock market, as Luke Combs would say, it may it just may be the case that we'll get the anticipated correction when everyone has forgotten about the euphoria narrative. Uh, as we covered, uh, while everyone's looking for now, I think the odds favor a Q1 pullback after most managers have given up on a correction and followed the chase. Only when everyone's in can they open the trap door. So, um, okay, and then the other thing, uh, that said, okay, uh, da, 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 it may be too, okay, so that said, if you take a few steps back, like we covered last week, it may be too cute to try to play it, considering we've just started a new business cycle. There were fierce corrections in 2010 and 11 after the huge move off the March uh, 2009 lows. It did not pay to play the short-term moves in 2010 and 2011, as you may very well have missed, on a, missed out on a decade-long run. The long cycle ended with the 2019 yield curve inversion and the 20. 2020 35% correction plus first half recession. Uh, the recession ended in with positive GDP growth in Q3 and began the new business cycle. We'll be using any weakness that potentially comes our way in Q1 to add more value in cyclical names to hold for the next three to five years. So that was the article of the week. The uh, Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey, we covered most of the key points. You can review it on the website. Just uh, Google. Oh, well, it's actually one of the most popular posts of the week. It's number two here. Just scroll down to popular posts. It's right after our article of the week, and you can review. There's a lot more data in terms of sentiment, charts, uh, et cetera, from the folks over at Bank of America. And... Uh, and that's that. So uh, glad to own a piece of their business, by the way. Okay, uh, they do good work. So uh, more unusual options activity this week in Exxon. We saw a couple huge prints, 16,000 contracts on the 17th, uh, or the 16th, I think that was. Um, another 3,000 contracts today. It's interesting. Um, this one was like way out of the money, 72.50 for next January. 
so they're expecting huge moves here. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I think they're probably going to be excessively right. Uh, economic data for the week. By the way, if you get cut off, I don't think you're going to get cut off. We've got five more minutes to go. Um, okay, some of the data, New York State empire manufacturing uh, was, was weak, mixed, mixed expectations. I like this capacity utilization rate is, it keeps going up. That's a good sign, 73.3 versus 72.9. Um, industrial production beat uh, here on Tuesday. Manufacturing production beat expectations on Tuesday. Uh, core retail sales were down a little weak. Well, you know, when you're shutting down cities, all the cities we talked about that have the highest pay taxpayer burden uh, are shutting shutting themselves down. You know, it's, it is what it is, but uh, that, that impacted retail sales in the short term. Obviously, Congress has fumbled the ball. Hopefully, they'll get it right over the weekend. That'll help this shoot right back up and get retail sales cooking. Manufacturing PMI was strong, so that's good news. Services were missed expectations a little bit, but again, you get $900 billion into the system, plus the $2.3 trillion that's already out there that's working on a lagged effect, plus all the mon uh, monetary stimulus. We're going to be cooking again. We need the stimulus package. We're going to have 20 million people vaccinated by the end of the month, another 20 million probably by the end of January. We're off to the races. Things are, things are moving here. We did get the nice draw this week on uh, crude inventories. Where is that? Uh, bah, 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 bah. Where is that? There it is. 3.13 million uh, barrel draw versus 1.9 million. That was exciting. Oil trading up to a nine-month high. Um, building permits through the roof. And this is the key number. Everyone was, you know, complaining about the 885,000 initial jobless claims. Focus on continuing jobless claims. That's the key number. That continues to beat expectations. That continues to come down on a weekly basis. You shut down cities, you're going to see these silly spikes ups, the seasonality, uh, and, and hopefully that'll get worked out very, very soon now with the vaccinations and the stimulus package coming out. Um, although the stimulus package doesn't include aid for the states and local. So, um, you know, you may see continued regional shutdowns, but that's okay because all the states that are shutting down, people are just fleeing and going into the high growth, uh, states and cities. And, you know, down here in Florida, business is booming. I mean, it, it, there's traffic on the road every day. These guys are flying. Now I'm not making any type of statement on, you know, what should and shouldn't be done. I mean, you know, all the restaurant servers wear masks, you wear a mask in the restaurant, et cetera. Uh, but they're, their business is booming. So, um, you know, I don't know what's right or wrong, but I, I can just say that uh, the areas that are that are being very, very strict, people are fleeing those places because, and as more people flee, they're going to have to raise taxes more and more and more people are going to flee. So uh, I think this trend is going to persist and, um, and and that's, that is what it is. Now, as to earnings, uh, the trend continues. Uh, expectations continue to climb on a, every single week. It's now getting close to $170 of S&P earnings for next year. I still think this is uh, under what it should be because you're going to have a tremendous amount of earnings come to banks from reserve releases. I think this is, um, that's that's not priced in, probably about $50, to $50 billion of earnings that's going to come in for the banking banks uh, collectively that's not priced in. So uh, then you've also got Boeing, which is going to be a huge impact as they start to make deliveries. That's not priced in. So, you know, some people are out there, 175, there was a 
I think Costin was out with. And then you got guys like Jim Paulson uh, uh, out of the Luthold group calling for $200 of earnings. So somewhere in between there is probably uh, closer to the truth. So these can continue to come up on a weekly basis. And, uh, and that's a good thing for everyone. And we'll get uh, uh, all these jobs back and get back to normal life. Uh, like, like they, like you're seeing, uh, uh, in different, different regions. So with that said, we'll be back, uh, next week is, uh, next week we'll probably have to do a short one, uh, early, a day early next week, um, because it's Christmas and that's a very important day. So we'll either do a short abbreviated one next week. Uh, I don't think we'll skip because we'll be back up uh, up north and there's not much else to do. So we'll see you next week, probably a day early or, or maybe a day and a half early. In the meantime, I hope everyone's enjoying their holiday season, regardless of what holiday they celebrate, and make it a great one. Thanks for listening.